Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Has it been a while since you flipped that thermostat from heat to cool? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services before you do for an $88 AC start and check to make sure your AC is in tip-top shape. Griffith specializes in carrier, but services all brands. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today. Your local carrier expert. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as we are streaming the show live on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. As always, thanks for listening, as on this episode, we'll be recapping the White Sox two-game series in Cleveland as they split with the Indians uh, in a surprising manner. And there was an opportunity for the White Sox to actually win both games, which would have been tremendous for the young team on the young season. But we'll be recapping that series. And now the White Sox head home for their home opening day. It'll be the first time that White Sox fans can greet Eloy Jimenez against the hottest team in the American League, the Seattle Mariners. Yes, you heard that right. The Red Hot 7-1 Seattle Mariners. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast is Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Last year, in 2018, the Chicago White Sox were 1-8 at Cleveland. So it feels good that they've already tied that mark early in 2019. Yeah. Uh, the, as you mentioned, that they could have won both games, having one bad inning, which was... One bad relief outing compounded by bad bullpen decisions and, and it all snowballed on them. But yeah, the Indians didn't look all that impressive. Part of it's the injuries decimating them. Part of it's probably cold weather. Part of it's Corey Kluber looking bad of all people. Uh, but the White Sox did, I guess, hold them to that. They they punished mistakes. They took advantage of the one extra out they got. They turned that into something. So yeah, it was a it was a good showing for, uh, for both games and 
cold weather against uh, superior pitching. Yeah, there was a lot of, I don't know if it was anger or maybe just fatigue of watching this White Sox team over the years, losing in so many ways. The first game on Monday, the home opener for Cleveland, the White Sox lost 5-3 to three when it appeared that they had stolen that game away from Cleveland, Jim. Mike Clevenger was terrific. He struck out, what, 13 batters over seven innings? 12, 12 batters. Yeah, 12 over seven. 12 yep. over seven. And it, the White Sox could not catch up to his velocity. He's going to be a pain in the neck for the White Sox in 2019. He had terrific stuff. But Ivan Nova held his ground, and it was just a one to nothing game. And then just a fluke, bad play defensively by Cleveland allowed Jose Rondon to get to second, a good sacrifice bunt by Adam Engel moved him to third, and then with two strikes, Yoan Mikata, which we're going to talk a lot more about him in a moment, uh, tied the game, and Ryan Cordell, the day after his birthday, hit a two-run pinch-hit home run for the White Sox to give him a 3-1 to lead, but alas, the bullpen issues for the White Sox uh, really showed up, and they ended up giving up the lead, allowing four runs in the bottom of the eighth inning and then losing that game, which was a lost opportunity to steal one. But in the most bizarre way, as you mentioned, Jim, with Corey Kluber, Corey Kluber was not himself. I think this is the first time that the White Sox have scored six runs against Corey Kluber uh, since the 2015 season. And the last three seasons, Corey Kluber has been awesome against the White Sox with a 1.81 ERA, and he was 9-0 and against the White Sox. So this is the first time that Corey Kluber has suffered a loss against the Chicago White Sox since 2015. It's been mm-hmm. a moment. Uh, and the White Sox were able to get three runs against Corey Kluber and then ran away with the game to an 8-3 to victory. That's the recap as far as the two games. Let's start with the man of the moment at right now for the White Sox, and that's Yuan Mikata, Jim. Mikata had another huge game today for the White Sox, another home run that was just an absolute blast. And if you haven't seen the video, I think I've watched it 10 times already, Jim. Uh, just such a majestic blast. And that really should have been his second home run because his double earlier in the game was a 400-foot blast, but it was just dead center in that very high wall that Cleveland has at their ballpark, and it hit the very top of the wall, robbing Mikata of a home run. But Mikata was two for three on Wednesday with three runs scored, two RBIs, and he had two walks and no strikeouts. So when you look at Yoan Mikata's start, first five games of the year, I know, small sample size, but he's nine for 20 hitting Jim with three doubles, two home runs, six driven in, and he's got three walks to three strikeouts. Is this the best we have seen Yoan Mikata since he's been with the White Sox? I would say so, especially when it comes to contact. He didn't really have this kind of uh, uh, strikeout outage uh, at any point last year, even his, his first year with the White Sox. And it, it reminds me, strangely enough, of Leury Garcia, Um they're, they're on completely different levels, but in terms of when Garcia was coming up with the White Sox and when they traded uh, Alex Rios for him, watching him his first couple stints with the White Sox, he just had seemed like he had no consistent swing plane, just swinging a lot, missing, you know, he's swinging wildly outside the zone, but even inside the zone, it looked like he wasn't coming close on strikes. And with Mankata, it was similar. Like, he missed a lot of hittable pitches in the zone. Like, a lot of his problems were passivity, getting into bad counts. Uh, and then you either having to chase or getting locked up on pitches, getting out guests, but also he was missing pitches 
that were inside the zone. And now it doesn't seem like he's doing that. I mean, he follows off the occasional pitch or gets jammed or, or rolls over pitch or whatever. But when it comes mm-hmm. to the pitches he should punish, or if he gets two chances of one at bat, uh, those pitches are going a long way right now. They're being hit hard. And I think that's the that's the thing I had in mind with Mancada and that because uh, I know that you know Garcia went through it and Yolmer Sanchez to a degree went through it where switch hitters come up and it just takes them a while to get their swings consistent, yeah, you know, for lack of a better word, like actually, you know, have them repeatable and 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 control the barrel. I think from both sides and. I think with Mankata, the right-hand swing is weaker than the left-hand swing, but I think they were both were off, or they both may take some time to get up to speed at the major league level. And, you know, we haven't seen him much against left-handers, but when it comes to his left-handed swing, it looks like it's a lot more precise than it was last year in that when he's getting pitches in the zone, I mean, he's more aggressive in the zone, and that's great, but also he's doing a lot with that aggression that I think maybe last year he didn't have the skills to do. Yeah, his three biggest hits in this series, all on two strikes. His home yes. run was foul ball, foul ball, destruction. And it's just terrific to see. And as you mentioned, Jim, it, I agree with you. From the eye test, it does look like he has a much better swing plane, especially from the left-handed side. But he also proved in the first game that you can't switch him over as easy as last year, bring mm-hmm. in a left-handed reliever late in the game, make him bat right-handed. No, I, we even saw in spring training, this is one of the things that I do think you know, spring training success can carry over to the regular season. It's not a numbers thing. It's just that, you know, Yohan Mikado looked much stronger from the right-handed side in in spring training, and we that's what we've seen so far in the regular season. So, again, Mikado's putting up monster numbers. He's already got nine runs scored. Uh, also, somebody we can't forget that had a big game on Wednesday. Lurie Garcia had four hits. Four mm-hmm. hits. Uh, on Wednesday, and Lurie Garcia, I know he's been in the leadoff spot, and it's been frustrating a lot of White Sox fans. Right now, with the way that the 25-man roster is constructed, one would think this would be John Jay's spot, but John Jay is hurt, so right now it's Lurie Garcia filling in. Lurie Garcia has already scored six runs in five games, and it's because Jose Abreu is off to a good start. He's 6 for 20 on the year. Abreu's got two home runs. Abreu's already driven in seven runs on the year. Uh, Yonder Alonso might be three for 15, but he's already walked seven times, seven times in five games. And then you have Eloy Jimenez, which we know eventually it's going to come around. He had another multi-hit game on Wednesday. He's four for 20. But the top half of this lineup, Jim, I know we talked about it on Monday's show because it was a P.O. Sox question. If the White Sox could possibly be an above-average offense, with the way that this season is starting after the first five games, you can kind of get a hint that it might be just looking at the first five hitters. Yeah, and I think when it comes to the lineup, if they're all bunched together and they're all able to feed off each other, then yeah, maybe have these more enjoyable innings and more crooked numbers, which leads to more enjoyment. I think they're getting really, aside from some decent production from the catcher spot, uh, there really hasn't been anything in the back half of the lineup. You know, Polk has been off. Sanchez has been off. Uh, you know, Jimenez has been uh, a little bit uh, spotty here and there. He's got some, he's had a couple good games. He's had some games where he looks like he's a rookie and, you know, that's to be expected. But uh, yeah, there's there's kind of a, uh, an absence or, or like a, just a dearth of production from like the, Seven, eight, nine, especially when Angle plays, you know, over or over Garcia. But yeah, it's. I think with Garcia, he's 
not a great leadoff man, but I think given how Mankata looked in the leadoff spot last year, maybe they don't want to put him there because he feels like he has to watch too many pitches and he might be too passive. I think Garcia is somebody who will go up there. He doesn't seem, you know, for better or for worse, he doesn't seem phased by the leadoff spot. He just does his thing. And sometimes that leads to three quick outs. And sometimes that leads to four hits off two of them infield singles. Cause he just puts the bat in the ball and runs. And uh, I think Renteria is probably content with that now, just because it does preserve the rest of the order. You know, and hopefully Jay comes back and you know, provides more on base percentage there. But I think the top of the lineup works well enough, you know, as we talked about on, on PO socks, just more of a matter of, you know, if all those guys can stay healthy, uh, cause if one of them slips up, you know, or, you know, goes into a slump or gets hurt, misses a month, I think it's going to be hard to find that second wave of productive talent. I, I think the guys that they have right now are the guys that they, you know, hope hang around for basically the entire year. Then on Wednesday, another part of the headline, while Yohan Makata was terrific offensively, Carlos Rodon was terrific on the mound. To start 2019, Jim, he's really a two-pitch pitcher at this moment. He's a slider, fastball pitcher. He's throwing the changeup very few times when he's facing a hitter for the third time through the order. And I guess it does pose the question because when you look at when you look at Carlos Rodon's numbers to start the year after two starts and what would have been if Yomer Sanchez fielded that ground ball in Kansas City, uh, we're, we're looking at a pitcher right now for Carlos Rodon, who did not allow a earned run on Wednesday. The one run that did score was unearned, again, because defensively there's some major issues for the White Sox. But in 11 and one-third innings pitched, Rodon has only allowed five hits, four runs, two of them earned, with 15 strikeouts and two walks. Rodon has greatly, greatly reduced his walk rate after his first two starts. And I know, really small sample size. We're just talking about two starts. Mm-hmm. But with him really being fastball slider heavy, is the slider a flexible enough pitch, Jim, in which that Rodon can create different angles from it, that he can get away with this approach? Oh, yeah. I, I th- I've thought that since his rookie year, basically. The talk of a changeup was, you know, I think somewhat important as his development was going and, and that you don't want to stunt him unnecessarily and if he can somehow get a feel for a changeup then he's even more dangerous but I think even from draft day on just the amount of uh, tilt he can get on a slider the way he can throw it for strikes he can throw slower ones harder ones you know the 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 death ones down and into righties uh, the back foot sliders he's always had that so I think when it comes to you know his pitch mix right now it doesn't bother me maybe you know I guess my one concern is throwing 49 sliders in a game, whether that's detrimental at all, you know, given his injury history, you know, whether that comes into it, I can't say for sure, just something I've thought of. But uh, if he's comfortable doing that, he looked a lot stronger than in his first start. Uh, He didn't have the second time through like mid inning release point issues where he's like leaving everything high, leaving everything up or, you know, alternating between, uh, you know, leaving uh, everything above the zone high and wide and arm side versus bouncing it, trying to overcompensate. His release point looked very consistent. looked like he had a slider, uh, you know, two modes of it that he was content going to, and McCann was content calling it. And, you know, if he's that guy, then that's great. Uh, I wonder whether, you know, it can hold up, um, but uh, for the time being, it's something I greatly enjoyed watching, especially, uh, yeah, that that, uh, put-away slider he had a lot of uh, confidence in. This does remind me of the adjustment that Patrick Corbin made last year in Arizona, which 
we read like on fan graphs that Corbin ditched the changeup and yeah. strictly stuck with the fastball and his breaking pitch, the slider. And that was very effective for Patrick Corbin. And obviously it led to a very big payday for Patrick Corbin, where he's now with the Washington Nationals after a six-year, $140 million deal. Do you think Carlos Rodon could have that same level of success that we saw from Patrick Corbin in 2018? I know it's different leagues, and maybe it it would be a little bit unfair for Carlos Rodon to meet the numbers at Patrick Corbin because, again, Corbin got to face a lot of pitchers in the National League hitting-wise. Uh, but do you think that same type of level of success that Carlos Rodon can achieve I think it's within his talent. Uh, I think that's why he was drafted where he was and, and why he had the scouting reports that he had. I just, you know, I would question whether he can hold up physically. Uh, I think that's really my only concern with, uh, well, I, I should say I have two concerns. One is that, you know, the, I thought his fastball command was pretty good for what it was. And, and also he didn't really feature it that much. He didn't rely on it. He, he threw his, uh, he threw as many sliders as fastballs. So he didn't really have one, yeah, I think that's part of his success was not having one pitch in any one count. I think he was content throwing either pitch at any time, and I think that helps him a lot too. But when it comes to like a, a breaking pitch, a slider, he has no problem throwing it to righties. So I think as a lefty, I think that greatly um, reduces the concern you have over needing that changeup as something as like an equalizer to righties. Like if he can throw it down and in, if he can throw it like a cutter when he needs to, if he can throw it like a... Uh, Sometimes he throws like a changeup and then he gets like wants people to swing over the top of it. Uh, They kind of serve the same purpose. So if he can hold up throwing his slider 30% of the time, uh, 40% of the time, or if he can just hold up in general, you know, maybe it's not a slider thing, more just a Carlos Rodon elbow and shoulder thing. um, Mm -hmm. Then, yeah, he theoretically could do that. And I think being lefty and being what he has and, and, and creating some weird lineups because uh, uh, teams don't like running lefties out against him, you know, that could work in his favor too. So he, he does have some things lining up for him, but I just, I would question his body's ability to, uh, his body's ability to, uh, to carry that through. Well, hopefully it does hold up and hopefully he can continue this really nice start that he's had to the 2019 season. Cause it greatly helps the white Sox odds of winning more games and maybe surprising in the early part of 2019 if Carlos Rodon, I mean, striking out 15 batters over 11 innings in his first two starts of the year. If he continues that pace with just two walks, uh, then the White Sox are going to be in terrific shape when Carlos Rodon is on the mound. All right, so that's the good stuff, right? The top half of the lineup, Carlos Rodon looked really good. Uh, even Ivan Nova looked really good on Monday. Uh, really surprising. I thought that was a great first impression. Let's get to the bad stuff. And I bring this up, Jim, because with the White Sox home opener now being delayed, and we'll talk more about that from Thursday to Friday, it means that the White Sox are going to need a fifth starter to come in either Monday or Tuesday next week to make a start based on days of rest. So that's not many days before the White Sox are going to have to exchange someone on the 25-man roster, maybe bring in Irving Santana from his extended spring training to make one of those starts. So the clock is ticking, and some of these guys needed to have a fast start. And one that I thought was pretty safe, but I'm not exactly sure what's going on, and that's Yomer Sanchez. Yomer Sanchez is 1-for-20 hitting with seven strikeouts, no walks, and he's committed three errors. And these errors have mm-hmm. been very costly, Jim. Right now, Yomer Sanchez just looks out of order 
someone that doesn't look like they should be in the major leagues, but we know in the last two years that Yomer Sanchez is a player that's deserving to be on a major league roster and can be valuable in a super utility role. Do you have any idea what's going on? No, it's, well, I think with him, you know, he's out of options, so I think they have to stick with him. I don't think they would risk losing him because they really don't have much middle infield depth uh, until Danny Mendick uh, proves he can hit at Charlotte. But when it comes to Sanchez, it's just, you know, I think, uh, well, defense, it's hard to tell me, like that drop pop-up. I mean, the the double play when he let it go under his mitt uh, and it was kind of leaning the wrong way, that was weird, but perhaps he just saw it strangely that one particular hit. So you just kind of shrug at it and say, Hey, but, uh, the, the fumbled liner and then the, the drop pop-up, I think is more inexcusable. And it does seem like it's mounting a little bits and it seems like he could use a day off, but with Tim Anderson being on paternity leave, it seemed, uh, like any chance to give him a day off, uh, you know, has to be set aside until Anderson's back. And it sounds like he'll be back on Friday. Um, and maybe that'll be how they do it, but it, it's, it's strange. Like, you know, there's that and, and plays that he's not, tracking well and then offensively it seems like the swing is i think jason benetti keeps using the word served you know for his fly balls and that's kind of you know what it looks like it's just more like reaching out and and like almost like a tennis uh backspin shot you know just like a passing a passing shot to buy yourself time you know like floating it to the outfield and it's not a winning strategy for baseball to have uh you know soft little floaters going out to center field, but you know, it's just that kind of contact. It seems like he's reaching out. Even he had a two Oh count and still just kind of poked it to left center and it was caught. And, uh, it seems like he's feeling for the ball and not really attacking. It's not really knowing what's coming. So it just seems like it's both sides. It's a little bit odd. And, you know, he didn't really have that great of a finish the last season. So part of it, I think is, you know, what he looks like when he's slumping, uh, but it's, it, when it's the only sample size you have, and he didn't have uh, you know that great of a spring either, uh, it, it does show the problem with having Yon Mancada and, and Yomer Sanchez in those two outfield or infield spots, no matter what. When you have like the Manny Machado thing, uh, yeah, that was part of the uh, appeal. Was like, well, Sanchez isn't a starter. Get two starters in there. You just kind of have to ride with Sanchez right now until either Jose Rondon shows a little bit more plate discipline or a better hit tool and. I don't, don't think that's going to happen. Or Danny Mendick maybe looks worthy of a few starts, you know, maybe June, July. And, you know, that's, I wouldn't call it a long shot, but it's not a great chance either. So it's basically uh, they they have to ride with Sanchez until, uh, you know, it just proves too much. And it just, you know, it's more than, um, you know, the worst possible five-game sample size for him. Yeah, Jose Rondon finally got his first hit of the year. He's one for nine. It was a RBI double. Uh, he has struck out four times to just zero walks. Uh, and he filled in for Tim Anderson, which Tim Anderson and his wife uh, just had their second child. Congratulations to the Anderson family. Uh, he will be available on Friday to rejoin with the team and be back at shortstop. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fans on Twitter right now, Jim, that would like to see Jose Rondon ahead of Yomer Sanchez. Uh, sure. I, I, I think what you're going to lose by making that switch is losing a switch hitter in the bottom of the lineup at the ninth spot. But if you think that, you know, Jose Rondon has a lot more power and maybe that will come through, but he doesn't make nearly enough contact, I think, to be an everyday major league. Well, the, yeah. The weird thing with Rondon is that he has uh, backward splits. Like I thought, you know, Sanchez being strong against righties, you have Rondon against lefties, maybe get a platoon, but 
splits can be a little bit weird, but in, in the splits that we've seen from Rondone in this new form from him, he hits righties a lot better than lefties, so that doesn't really work either. Yeah, that's a good point. So by moving Mikata from second to third, uh, after five games, it looks like, hey, the White Sox have found their third baseman. Uh, they just moved their weakness in the infield over to second base right yep. now. And uh, there's there's really nobody there except for, I mean, if Danny Mendek has a hot April, Jim, I don't know. If this continues all April with Yomer Sanchez and Jose Rondon, A, not hitting, and B, not fielding well, I, I don't know what you do if you're Rick Hahn and Rick Renteria. I think you're going to have to give Danny Mendek a try because these guys uh, haven't looked very major league-like players to start the year. Uh, another player that's really struggling out of the gate, and there's a lot of injuries uh, that Daniel Polka was dealing with, especially the hamstring injury that hurt him during spring training. But Daniel Polka, 0 for 17. He's hitless after five games. He has struck out seven times. Now, he does have two RBIs. That's because he has two walks, and those two walks have came at a great time. They have been bases-loaded walks. Uh, so that's why Daniel Polka has two RBIs in the season. Uh, it's an ugly line, Jim. Daniel Polka's swing is all or nothing. And obviously last year we fell in love with him with his brute power, leading the team in home runs. But it appears that the league is starting to make an adjustment to Daniel Polka. And his home run or nothing swing uh, could maybe put him in jeopardy. Because like I said, somebody's going to have to go down. And if Daniel Polka also looks lost at home plate, I believe he does have options. And that could be a possibility Mm -hmm. that by Tuesday of next week, the guy who led the White Sox in home runs in 2018 may have to be sent down of the first week of the season. I mean, is this a real possibility? It's possible. Uh, I think Cordell would go down first just because he's the third center fielder. And uh, yeah, it would be, uh, I guess that the pinch hit homer was cool. I don't really know how much he can count on that. And also Cordell didn't really do much at Charlotte last year. So I think he can prove something at Charlotte. You know, if he, if he has a good month, uh, if they send down a triple A and he, he, he performs April and May, then you think, okay, then maybe he can get another cup of coffee, see what he's got. But right now I think, you know, playing sparingly and, and being in this extra outfielder because they didn't need to carry five starters at the time. Um, it doesn't seem like he's doing him a lot of good. So I imagine he would go down first, but yeah, Polka, it's part of it might be adjustment, but he's also missing a lot of pitches in the zone. Like I'm seeing some hangers that he's just following back here or, uh, chopping and, you know, he ends up, you know, circling out of the batter's box and shaking his head. And, you know, so then he gets in these two strike counts and maybe jumps at pitches and, and swings over them. And that's where the strikeouts happen. But early in the count, he's swinging. Uh, the pitches are, you know, breaking pitches in the zone and he's not punishing them like the way he did last year. So I think part of it is uh, maybe the league, you know, uh, turn the screws on him with two strikes. But getting to two strikes has been, I think, mostly his fault. And I guess part of that's encouraging in that, you know, maybe if he gets his timing, he'll be better. But uh, right now, I think when he's not performing and playing the way he is in right field, he isn't really doing a whole lot of good. So I, I do think there is some pressure. I think Cordell will get on first. But when Jay comes back and, you know, who knows what Jay's status is because it's been an unusual spring for him. And I think it's more than an injury of convenience to get Eloy up. But, uh, you know, should Jay come back? I don't know what Polka does for the lineup or defense right now. And I know that, you know, leading the team in homers last year, he deserves a little bit of slack and, and 
time to figure it out. But, you know, at some point <laughs> you need to do something for your pitching staff or your offense. And if you're not doing either, then and you have a, uh, a much better choice or, or somebody who provides a better option of providing both, then you got to roll with him. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully he gets his first hit this home series for the White Sox, their first home series of 2019 as, again, opening day. The home opener was going to be tomorrow on Thursday. That has been pushed to Friday as weather is going to be coming through to the Chicago area. A lot of rain is in the forecast for Thursday, but it looks like to be a terrific weekend, at least weather-wise. 55 degrees is the high on Friday, up to 60 degrees on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, So great weather-wise for those that are going to be going to opening day now on Friday or during the opening weekend. And speaking as far as the home opener, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. If you need tickets for the games this weekend, make sure to check out SeatGeek. SeatGeek, again, has been a great partner for us at Sox Machine. It's a ticket company where the customer comes first with more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store. SeatGeek is focused on making your experience as easy as possible. It pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web, rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and displays them on an interactive seat map. So it's simple to find what you're looking for. The green dots are good deals. The red dots are overpriced. If there's a certain section that you want to sit in, you can zoom in and you can find your seats that way. Plus, every purchase is fully fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I use SeatGeek to get tickets for opening day. I found it to be the easiest way to shop for tickets. And with the White Sox moving to paperless... Through the SeatGeek app, you will get the QR code. So all you have to do after you purchase your tickets on SeatGeek is pull up your tickets on the app. You get the QR code at the gate. They're going to scan your phone, and you will get into the stadium that way, and they will print you a ticket so you can know where your seats are at. And best of all, for Sox Machine listeners, you get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you got to do is just download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code SOXMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase. So again, if you need tickets for the home opening weekend, download the SeatGeek app, use promo code SOXMACHINE, and you get $10 off your tickets for this weekend's games. And again, SeatGeek, great sponsor to the Sox Machine podcast. And we now we move over to the home opening weekend for the Chicago White Sox as they'll be going up against the Seattle Mariners, who are the hottest team in the American League. I guess you can say they're the hottest team in all of Major League Baseball. The Seattle Mariners are 7-1. and one, And if you're impressed by that amount, they have scored 56 runs in seven games, Jim. They're averaging eight runs a game. It's flipped. Is it 56 over 8? Oh, they have, yeah, 8 <laughs> games. I'm sorry. Yep. So it is 7 runs. Still. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't diminish your point one bit. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, just, I don't know how they're doing it, honestly. Uh, we thought that they were in a rebuild. Uh, they probably still are, but they're playing really good baseball at the moment. Uh, they've only allowed 39 runs over the 8 games, so they have a run differential of 17 runs. Uh, and again, they won both games in Japan against the Oakland Athletics and their first six games at home. They won five of them and they did have some stiff competition uh, as they beat the Boston Red Sox in their series. And they've won four games in a row. And with your probable pitchers for this series on Friday, again, this is the game that got pushed back. So it'll start at 1 10 p.m. Central time. It is Ronaldo Lopez against UC Kikuchi. 
will be the first time that we get to see Kikuchi, uh, the Japanese signee, over this past offseason. On Saturday, again, a 1.10 p.m. Central Time start. It is Mike Leake for the Seattle Mariners against Lucas Giolito. So we'll talk about Giolito in a moment here as we preview the series, if he can duplicate what he did in Kansas City last week. And on Sunday, for right now, for the White Sox, is to be determined. But this could be the spot for Ivan Nova to make his second start. And it'll be the left-hander Wade LeBlanc for the Seattle Mariners uh, as he allowed six runs as the Mariners were able to come back and beat the Red Sox in his first start, 10-8. to eight. Uh, So for the White Sox here, I... It's going to be a bit of a challenge for the pitching staff, Jim, because, again, Seattle has just been red hot offensively, especially the bullpen. If the White Sox starters can continue to pitch as well as they have, great. But as you wrote this week on SoxMachine.com, it just seems, especially from Monday's game, that even though he's got an eight-man bullpen, Rick Renteria does not have a go-to guy after Alex Colome and Kelvin Herrera. Is that going to be an issue? I think so. I think, uh, you know, Nate Jones giving up a homer to Hanley Ramirez is, you know, and on one hand, it's a sad way to end a what was a very enjoyable game, but also it's a good time just to kind of reaffirm that uh, Jones is not what he used to be. And I, I think maybe they're drawing that conclusion based on how weird his spring was and how cautious their comments have been. And, and they've tried to talk around it a little bit, but I, I don't think. They're even trying to convince themselves. I think it's more trying to be polite. So I think when it comes to Jones, he's out of it. So when it comes to before Herrera, I think they're hoping that Jace Fry gets over his command issues and looks like he did last year. And that's entirely possible. And then after that, I don't know. Um, I think Ryan Burr is one option. Um, And then, yeah, they brought up Jose Ruiz to take Tim Anderson's spot while he's on the paternity list. And, uh, based on the way he threw at some points last year in spring training, it's, I wouldn't mind seeing him hang around for, you know, somebody like Jones or you know, even though Jones wouldn't be sent down, you'd have to be, you know, cut basically. But either Jones or Covey or something like that, because Banuelos makes Covey a little redundant for long relievers who don't strike people out. I think I'd rather see somebody like him to give Renteria a strikeout option. But yeah, it's going to be tough. The uh, it's going to be a fascinating series, though, because I'm looking at Seattle. I mean, they're getting production up and down the lineup. It's it's nuts, basically, the how well-balanced they are and, and three homers from three different guys. And uh, they have a bit of a speed game, too. Uh, Ten stolen bases and 11 chances. So that's something for you know, Lucas Giolito to watch. But uh, pitching-wise, they're not striking anybody out. I mean, they've had a good ERA, but they only have, I think, let me double-check here, but I think it was like 56 strikeouts over 75 innings. Uh, one of the lower rates, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know that's typically not a recipe for success in today's game. And the White Sox, you know, for their inconsistency and Clevenger aside, they've been pretty good at controlling the strike zone against pitchers who don't. You know, they're not they're not handing strikeouts to pitchers who normally don't get them. So that's one thing that could work in their favor as they they go about this. Um, yeah, fifty fifty eight strikeouts in seventy five innings. So yeah, they're not really going about it the conventional 2019 way of success. So uh, that could be one way they regress, or perhaps it's just uh, one of those uh, pitching staffs that get that gets weak contact and you get mad at the White Sox for not hitting them harder. Yeah, it would be nice if the White Sox could have a good start at home. Last year, they did not. They really have yeah. struggled on their home opening day to the point in which 
Oftentimes, I recommend fans not going the home opener because not only is the weather always a hassle, and it's another it's a hassle again this year uh, with the delay of home, the home opener moving from Thursday to Friday. Uh, I'm going only because. I get to see Aloy Jimenez for the first time in a White Sox uniform in Chicago. And I think a lot of people change their mind like myself uh, to be at that home opener, but they, they just play awful, awful baseball uh, on, on their home openers. I don't know if it's just the, the pressure and the excitement that gets the best of them uh, playing in front of the home crowd for the first time. Um, but with Seattle, uh, everybody knows how great Christian Yelich has been to start the year. Mm-hmm. And he's just been a madman. He's got four home runs. He's got eight RBIs. Right now, Christian Yelich, according to Fangraphs, is already worth eight tenths of a win. Zero point eight wins above replacement in six games. Tim Beckham is also worth eight tenths wins above replacement in eight games. That's how good Tim Beckham has been, and I think he's going to be the player. The White Sox pitching staff is going to have to look at as he has three home runs, eight RBIs, and right now he's hitting 379 with a 471 on base percentage, but he's slugging 793. And this is a guy that was a top pick long time ago for the Tampa Bay Rays, seemed to find a second life with Baltimore a little bit, and now he's with Seattle and he's making the best of it so far to start the year. Uh, so if you're looking for somebody in that lineup, uh, other than Mitch Hanniger uh, to be concerned about, it's definitely Tim Beckham. So I think this is going to be a fun series. I am I think the White Sox could win this series, win two out of three. How about you, Jim? Are you confident that they can come away uh, as far as winning the series, or is this going to be a situation where Seattle continues to stay hot uh, and the White Sox lose two out of three or get swept? I think so. I, I think Giolito might be the, the key to it if he pitches like he did in his first start where he had the nice uh, controlled arm swing and that seemed to be you know, the shorter arm path uh, leading a better fastball command and also probably enhancing his changeup. Uh, that's a new pitcher who you know, teams might not be uh, quite scouted for and, and might be counting on him to go to more breaking balls and all of a sudden you know, the changeup is more devastating than they thought and you know, might take teams a while to catch up on that. I think he, you know, it's possible that he could have a nice little April for himself and then uh, see if teams can figure him out. But I think he's probably the key to the series just because I think Nova, you know what you're going to get with him. You're going to get a lot of strikes and efficient pitching and hopefully better defense to support an effort like that. But I think Giolito might be the kind of guy who, I guess, series and and good weeks pivot on because as we saw last year, um, you know, he, he can just have these awful starts that are uh, demoralizing and, and he always has to pick himself up after another change doesn't work. And in this case, if he has fewer things to fix, <laughs> that could be a lot more enjoyable for him and then in turn more enjoyable for the people watching him. Yeah, hopefully, again, if he can come out and pitch just like he did in Kansas City, then I think White Sox fans are really going to be excited for Lucas Giolito early in 2019. Again, I, I we talked about this on Monday. I was really impressed by his changeup. Hopefully that comes along for the trip from Kansas City to Chicago as Giolito faces a red-hot Seattle Mariners lineup. But that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. We'll be recapping as far as the White Sox Mariners series on Monday Sox Machine podcast, but we will also be previewing the White Sox minor league affiliates as it will be opening day tomorrow for the minor league affiliates as we'll have 
uh, guests from the Winston-Salem Dash, the Birmingham Barons, and the Charlotte Knights on Monday's show. So if you are still infatuated with the minor leagues and the White Sox prospects, we'll have a lot of discussion as we'll have several guests coming from those affiliates to talk about the 2019 season from the minor league point of view. So I'm excited to have that episode for you guys on Monday. Again, thank you for listening to this edition of Sox Machine Live. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe in a number of ways iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things for Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.